You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. Welcome, you fine podcast humans. Thank you for listening to this show about independent music, whether it's punk, hardcore, or these people that have been profoundly influenced by those DIY scenes. I don't care where you come from. If you have been to shows in small, sweaty rooms, that is who we are bringing on the podcast. And today's guest, of course, he is cut from that cloth. He, in my mind, is probably one of my favorite drummers of all time from a live music perspective because he is so much fun to watch. His name is Mario Rubicalba, which I am probably butchering his last name. Let's try that again. Rubicalba. I'm fairly certain I got that one sort of right. But anyways, Mario plays in a band called Rock from the Crypt, you may have heard of. Also played in Hot Snakes. He currently plays in Earthless, awesome stoner slash psychedelic band. And he also played in a very foundational band for me as I started to get into the San Diego music scene called Clickatat Ikatawi. He also is a pro skater. He has done a lot. He is a very, very uh, he's a lifer. I was going to say a very, very lifer. No, but he is a lifer and a very talented musician. And I was very excited to have him on the show because I punished him on Instagram for a while and we were DMing back and forth. And then finally, we were able to pull the connective tissue together to make this happen. So yeah, that is Mario. But if you want to do this show a favor, there's a few different things. One, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I would very much appreciate that. Makes the algorithm work in the favor of the show or something like that. And then Spotify just recently launched their star rating system. So if you're listening to this show on Spotify, just tap that star rating button. And that, again, makes this show more legitimate in the algorithm's eyes because, you know, that's what we're all battling against, right? And then also... If you are looking for more cool podcast content, I highly encourage you. I worked, it was the executive producer, which basically just means I worked really hard on this thing with uh, a very talented bunch of people. But Under Oath, we have just released a podcast featuring the band that is a deep dive into their new record called Voyeurist. Uh, You can find a ton of information on labeleduniverse.com. And then you can also find the podcast on any of your listening platforms. If you just type in Under Oath in any of those podcast catchers, you will be able to find the podcast. Um, I'm really proud of it. I love Under Oath and I've loved watching their journey over time. But on top of that, I think that the band is incredibly interesting because they've had to navigate so many different things within the music industry and then growing as humans and so much fun stuff. So even though this is a a focused approach on dissecting the new record, it tells it in a way that will engage people who have honestly maybe just dropped off from listening to Under Oath. They're like, you know what? Uh, I didn't really like them since like the early 2000s. This will engage you. And even if you don't like Under Oath, you will find a lot of value because we, we put Uh, a lot of the storytelling in regards to the creative process in general. So please go check that out. We just released episode zero today, uh, which is Wednesday. Oh man, I don't even know the date, but yeah, you get it. If you listen to this, (laughs) the day that it came out, uh, you'll be able to uh, find that episode zero in all of the podcast catchers. Or like I said, go to labeleduniverse.com and find out more info. I would appreciate that. Anyways, let's dive into our conversation with Mario. Like I said, just a very prolific musician. But on top of that, Earthless has just released or is in the process of releasing their new LP called Night Parade of 100 Demons on Nuclear Blast, which is really cool that they've been able to not only exist as a band for as long as they have, but are continually reinventing what stoner rock, psychedelic stuff should sound like, especially in the age that we live in now, which, you know, stoner rock has existed for quite some time. So it's cool to see those genres bend even further. So anyways, here's Mario and I will talk to you after the episode is over. first exposed to you via Klickitat and Katawi. Like I live in Orange County and um, a lot of that San Diego scene obviously filtered up <laughs> here to Orange County. Um, yeah. And I immediately was taken by your drumming in Klickitat just because it was, um, you know, it was so weird and inventive, but at the same time, like, you know, you hit hard <laughs> and like 
you also are entertaining to watch. Um, and I realize I'm blowing a lot of smoke up your butt right here, but um, <laughs> like, I, I'm sure the intention as you started to, you know, hit the drums and everything like that was, uh, you know, you play how you play and that's kind of you as a person. Um, was there any kind of like focal point as you started to kind of develop your chops where it's like, oh yes, I do want to hit hard or, you know, I really want to focus on my symbols or was that just kind of like random and instinctual over time? Um, I think just kind of over time it, uh, developed through influences that I had as a kid. Um, I just, the, the drummers that I saw growing up as a kid hit hard and the drummers that I grew up listening to as a kid just had really unique styles. And I mean, like some of those drummers from a really young age were, um, uh, you know, uh, oh man, uh, Grand Funk drummer, uh, mm-hmm. Brewer, I, I believe his name is. And then like Ian Pace, Deep Purple, like those were two of the first guys I really like paid attention to as a kid. And I mean, I was like six years old, seven years old when I was really listening to those eight track tapes as a, you know, um, and then like, you know, of course the Zeppelins and the Sabbath and stuff like that. And then I kind of got into, to metal, you know, like Maiden and like Saxon and stuff like that. And just kind of all those drummers always just, you know, hitting hard and, and solid was, was the, was the way you did it. Um, Right. And then, like, getting into the punk stuff um, a little bit later uh, made me even more aware of, like, just attitude, like, the attitude some of these guys had over the chops. Um, it just, to me, it, it, it really, like, struck a nerve how, like, you know, one guy in a, in a, in a band, in a hardcore band like Discharge or something, maybe didn't have the the chops to like do, you know, what the drummer and Iron Maiden did, but he still was just like a savage, you know? And, uh, so combining those two worlds eventually to me just sort of made sense to just like really go for it, you know? Yeah. I like that perspective. Cause it is, I mean, that's how every kid as they start to experiment with music where you're just trying to combine all of the things you like into one. <laughs> Yeah. Whether you know it or or can articulate it, it doesn't matter. It's just like, well, I like all this stuff. So yeah, of course I'm going to hit hard. And of course I'm going to be, you know, quote unquote entertaining or whatever. I'm just going to be flailing around like a madman. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe that's not how you would describe it, but that's how I describe you. So <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I mean, I like all those things. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, kind of putting the spotlight on uh, you individually. I know you were born and raised in uh, Vista, correct? Yeah, for the most part, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, you know, kind of kicked around, obviously, San Diego for, you know, a majority of your life. Um, and clearly, you know, I mean, skateboarding, like, there's no uh, way you can't speak to you about the influence that skateboarding has had. Uh, did you ever get pulled into, like, surfing at all? Or was that just, like, completely something that you weren't interested in? No, I I, I surfed uh, quite a bit, actually. Um, probably, like, when I was, like, 11 to, like, 15 um, I had an uncle that was in really into surfing and he was the reason why I started skating. Um, so, you know, skating and surfing was something he did all the time. And, uh, that's how I got into surfing as well a bit. And, um, I, I just, you know, I would go to the beach a, a lot, you know, just living close to it. Um, but surfing is a different type of discipline. Like it wasn't always as easy to, take the surfboard every time I was going to go to the beach, you know, or, you know, do it like I could go skateboarding, you know, I could just always go skateboarding outside in my backyard and, you know, or a driveway. Um, but, uh, I mean, I really like surfing. Um, and I just, it was just something I didn't really, um, stick with once I got heavier into skateboarding. Um, but it's something I wouldn't mind getting back into and more just a, mellow level you know getting a a nice egg shaped board and just riding really small waves and cruising you know but uh yeah it's a different type of endurance it really takes a while to build endurance to just get beaten up by paddling out (laughs) and uh you know i i really respect the the art 
<clears throat> yeah. Well, and it, it is interesting too, because I mean, at one point there was such a clear dividing line between you're either a skater or a surfer. And like, you know, it, it, <laughs> I mean, that was a very, you know, myopic teenage view of like, oh, you know, skaters are such posers because they're not, you know, at one with themselves or vice versa, where it's like, oh, yeah. skating is so easy because you can do it anywhere. And it's just like, you know, I, I always found that dividing line to be so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily, I, I'm glad I didn't, um, wasn't instilled with that kind of uh, opinion of it. My uncle was always very like, he's like, you know, if you're going to skate, you know, might as well do it, you know, would try to do it with style. And, and most surfers have, you know, had a really cool style back in the, in the late seventies and eighties and stuff. And so, um, he, he just taught me that, you know, just try to make it, you know, if it, if it looks good, try to make it look good. You know, it's like, if you're born with it, you're lucky, you know, if not, just try your best to make it look good. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. And this is also the uncle you're speaking about is the same one who um, also exposed you to kind of, you know, left of center punk hardcore music, right? Um, not the punk stuff, but uh, he, I had a couple uncles and they, they just, they always just, uh, you know, they were close in age and they just had a, their group of, you know, grip of records and, um, and, um, you know, uh, as a kid, I was always after school and stuff, I'd go to my, my, we'd all go to my grandma's house, you know, for after school until our parents picked us up from, from their jobs. And so, um, you know, I just always would hang in his room and, and play his records and, or both of their records. And, uh, one of them played guitar for a little bit and, and then, uh, my other uncle, he, um, you know, they just had the, all the classic rock kind of type stuff back in the day mm-hmm. and um yeah and then from there just it just kind of blossomed into full-blown just really just really into music you know i just really liked listening to music as much as i could right i just i love the idea of the you know collective unit of uncles and their friends noticing you and being like oh man we can just pour a bunch of stuff into this kid because he seems into it <laughs> <laughs> yeah no most of the time they weren't even around you know they just and they you know would like be like hey man like where did my you know like stuff would be all misplaced when they got home from wherever they were doing and and uh you know uh, but they were always encouraging of of uh of me you know listening to their around (laughs) (laughs) well i i mean i think that's it's really cool because that is a uh inflection point for you to be able to feel like you are experiencing culture in a way that is it's right in front of you you know it's not like anybody is telling you that you need to get into this you're just kind of being attracted to it because it's there definitely and that same thing with skateboarding um you know there was issues of you know tons of, of, of skateboarder mags just, you know, in, uh, in their room. And so those were the things that, you know, I would just, I would just look at those magazines for hours, like study them and look at the ads and, you know, look at the articles and the pictures and just like, it just looked so intriguing to me, like everything about it. And it just went hand in hand with the music and, um, you know, and, and, uh, playing drums at a young age as well was just, it just, uh, it just all made sense so early. Sure. After that. <laughs> yeah. it, and I'm going to guess too, with just kind of the, um, you know, permissiveness of you getting into all these things, you know, drums and skateboarding and, you know, music that was not, uh, on the radio or anything. How did your parents react to it? I mean, clearly they supported it because you were just kind of doing it or was there kind of, you know, <laughs> uh, strife within the household of like, what is Mario getting into? This is so weird. Um, no, it was pretty supportive from an early age. I, I was, I mean, I had like a, a toy drum set. I think I got one when I was four and then I got a real kit when I was like six. So there, you know, the support was there to endure that kind of, noise and racket you know (laughs) and i played i played every day i played for hours you know in my room i just would just play put headphones on if i had them and just make make noise um it wasn't until maybe a little bit later on down the road when i i kind of really got deep into the the metal stuff um there was a radio show a really cool radio station called kmet at the time 
in LA and uh, they would, they started doing this metal shop hour Friday nights at like 11 o'clock. And, um, and you know, at the time I was in Iron Maiden Sabbath, just the basic heavy metal. And then listening to the show, it just, it was the first wave of all the like deep, you know, first wave speed metal thrash Mm -hmm. new wave of British heavy metal type stuff. I mean, it's it's where I first heard Metallica, Slayer, Venom, uh, even Motorhead. Um, what else? Like, uh, man, you, it was just a really deep show, and like all the satanic stuff. You know, it was like it was dark. It was Merciful Fate. You know, like Raven. Um, it was it was endless to me. So I I just like immersed myself into that kind of stuff. You know, and in fifth grade, that was a little bit kind of touchy subject of like you know like performing satanic rituals and listening to stuff like that my parents come from a catholic background so they weren't they weren't too into that um no i i I, especially especially at that time too i mean you're you're coming in uh, the era of satanic panic and yeah this is 80 i would say probably like 82 um when all that's when that was going on it was like fifth grade so um i I came home with a copy of the first Venom album and that lasted barely even a week once, once my mom got inside of that. So once, once I started coming home with, you know, and listening to to that kind of stuff, it was not, it wasn't thumbs up. So, um, I had to kind of sneakily, you know, find a way to to hear more. Let's just say I wasn't, I I didn't have a good collection of records at the time. (laughs) Right. Right. That makes sense. Um, and the, what you were all getting into, I mean, you would not be able to describe it as such as you were getting into it, but the DIY culture permeates, you know, not only, you know, skate and punk and hardcore and everything you've kind of been involved in for throughout your whole life. What, um, was it just the ability for you to kind of do things without asking permission that was attractive or what kind of drew you into it where you became, you know, so involved with all of that? Um, thinking back, um, I think, you know, during like middle school years and, you know, like from like 11, like whatever, 13, it was just, it was kind of a battle to have the freedom that I, that I wanted. And I realize now why, I mean, you know, I was, I was at a young, such a young age wanting to do things that my, my uncles were doing and they were like 18, you know? And, um, so, you know, my parents were, uh, rightfully, you know, strict and when they needed to be, but, um, I, you know, I just, I wanted to enter every skate contest that I've, I heard of. I wanted to go to every, every, you know, shows that I was like seeing flyers for when I'd go to like the record store. Um, a lot of the shows were down, down in San Diego and I lived up in Vista, which is like maybe like a 40 minute, 40 minute drive North. Um, you know, um, my, my mom was not going to take me down to Carpenter's Hall to go see Battalion of Saints, you know, my favorite local hardcore punk band. Um, you know, the, the scene was really violent back then. And that was just, that was just not a world she was going to take, uh, 11, 12 year old kid to, you know, shit. That was, I had no business going there in her eyes, you know? Um, so I didn't get to go to that kind of type stuff at when I wanted to, um, which I'm sure caused some kind of rebellious nature, you know, as it, as it does with most teenagers. And, um, you know, I just, tried to make the best of it by, by skating as much as I can and, and playing, still playing music when, when I had a chance to, and that led to, uh, you know, starting a band when I was like 13 or 14 and with one of my skate buddies. And, and from there, that's when it really started to kind of like become something that I'm like, okay, this is like, I really enjoy these two things a lot. Right. Did I'm going to guess alternatively, um, the did you i guess care about school at all or was it one of those things where you're just like i can't wait to you know graduate and move on to quote unquote real life whatever that may be i didn't i didn't care too much about it i mean i didn't you know um i didn't hate going to school i just was so you know looking forward to like skating and stuff and just getting it done with and 
Um, yeah, yeah, it was just there, you know. Rockabilia should be your first website that you visit. Maybe not every morning, but like maybe once a week. It is the best place to buy band merchandise. So rockabilia.com. But you can use this promo code 100 words or less, and that gets you 10% off your entire order. The great thing about what they do is they always have the latest and greatest merch from whatever band you are looking for. And on top of that, it's all officially licensed and they ship it out to you lickety split. You can buy gifts. You can buy stuff for yourself. I don't care where you are buying all your merch on the internet. I could tell you for a fact, Rockabilia is better. Again, 10% off. Use that code 100 words or less. It tells them that we, as in this podcast, sent them. And then it will make the podcast look cooler in their marketing person's eyes. And it's a virtuous cycle. You get it. But anyways, rad independently owned company. Ships from the Midwest. So, so, so cool. So anyways, rockabilia.com. Have fun on that website and save some money. With that, uh, you know, kind of what you were talking about of, you know, starting a band and then starting to, you know, experience that, you know, playing shows and everything like that. You know, I, I know a big inflection point for you was, I mean, you were a sponsored skater and you were playing in 401. And uh, did you have, uh, I guess, plans to try to sort of balance both lives? Because, you know, I mean, those are both, I mean, they're not career paths, <laughs> like yeah. in the long term, but yeah. they are, you know, things that you were doing. So were you trying to kind of uh, do both at, at the same time, but were, you know, struggling to keep up with one or the other? I, I would say that the skating, trying to do skating professionally was, was, I guess my goal, uh, first was, that's what I really wanted to do. Um, and it came to that point, you know, when I turned pro and had a model with Alva and stuff like that. And then when 411 came about, um, you know, I didn't really think of it as like trying to do any, like a, any type of like music full time. I just did it cause it just started happening. And, and, you know, Dan, the singer and the guys that were in the band, they were up in orange County and they were just always going to shows. They already played in bands that did lots of shows. And for me at the time I was just, you know, playing locally, you know, in like backyard parties and stuff. I hadn't really played like a real show, you know, I just did little things around the town and stuff. Um, and so when I joined 411, we started playing real shows and all around Orange County and LA and stuff like that and booked a tour. And so that opened my eyes up to like, yeah, this is, I'm doing the same thing as I'm doing with skating. I'm touring around the country and, you know, doing skate demos. And now I'm playing shows and a lot of the, some of these shows cross over to like at skate parks and stuff. So, um, and the, and the scene was also intertwined as well. A lot of people in the hardcore scene knew of me from skateboarding. So, um, it, to me, it kind of felt like one thing in a, in a way, but, um, but I also, um, you know, you spend a month on the road, you're not really keeping up with the craft of, of, of skateboarding, which you really have to kind of do every day as well. Um, so the balance, you know, eventually the balance, you know, became something where you had, you had to think about it. Um, but it was never really a problem. Um, I think eventually skateboarding just always progresses very rapidly and you either keep up with it or, or you don't. And even if you do keep up with it, there's just always new people coming in and new people coming in. And, um, I, I just, after a while, I just decided that, you know, I wanted to focus more on playing drums. Mm -hmm. Sure. And, and something that I've uh, just sort of, you know, armchair psychiatrist, uh, over here with <laughs> noticing about you, um, you know, you, you've clearly worked with a wide range of musical styles, but then a wide range of people, um, you know, the black heart procession from a musical perspective is clearly, you know, much different than, uh, you know, earthless or sea of tombs or, you know, rock from the crypt. Uh, yeah. But a lot of people get drawn to you because, you know, they understand your, your, your talent behind the kit, but then there has to be a component of you being, uh, quote unquote, easy to work with and, you know, kind of a, a Zen-like attitude. Um, is that, um, what, has that always kind of like been who you are where you're just kind of like, you know, easygoing dude and like, oh yeah, that, that sounds cool. Um, or is that something that you kind of like learned as you started to collaborate with so many people? Um, <clears throat> I think 
probably just being open to, uh, first of all, being open to different sounds is, is the key to, um, you know, having, having that variety just be of being easy to work with. I don't know if that makes sense, but like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I've, I tried early on to not limit myself to only listening to, you know, a couple styles of music or something, um, which in my teen teenage years, that was something I did. You know, I was, I was only into like death metal and, and punk and hardcore and, that was it for like a couple of years, you know, and then finally I somehow opened my eyes up to, you know, I heard Radio Birdman for the first time and, and that just opened my mind to like, you know, high energy rock and roll stuff. And, and from there I just started like really kind of opening up to different, you know, sounds and just tried not to like close off to anything. And then from there I kind of told myself like, well, if, if people want to play, you know, want to try playing with you, like, try to give it a chance at least a couple times. And if you don't, if it's something you really don't like, you'll, you'll know it and it'll reflect in your playing. Um, so, you know, I, I just tried to always kind of give things a shot, you know, and a lot of times I was friends with people, um, you know, with Paul from Blackheart procession, you know, that was something where we were just already friends. And, um, and from there it just kind of just happened, you know, being, being flexible with ideas is, is another thing. And, and, um, also being, uh, flexible with, uh, um, not criticism, but like, you know, sometimes there's ideas that people have that write songs and they see things, rhythms a certain way. And so being open to someone's ideas is, is another thing and not being, you know, getting defensive if someone wants you to just do a straight beat. But a lot of times, luckily, I mean, I've, I've been fortunate that that has never really been a problem, you know, that's, or it's never been a thing where I was really told what to do um, or what to play. Um, I've not against that, but like I've been lucky to play in, in so many projects where it's just happened naturally. And, you know, people have worked together very uh, seamlessly. Right. No, well, that's cool because I think when you come in with that willingness to kind of follow along with the musical style, like you're not trying to square peg round hole it. You're like, okay, I know that this needs to be, you know, either less aggressive or more aggressive or more in the pocket. Like you're able to adapt and learn from each circumstance and then apply it to future circumstances. So it's cool that you've been able to do that. You know, I mean like certain bands, um, you know, maybe there'll be, luckily, like, there'll be, we'll go over a couple ideas and stuff. And sometimes I'll just, I'll intentionally overplay just to, like, really, like, hammer down the fact that that is not going to work for this song, you know? And, like, and just try to, like, you know, I don't know, uh, cancel out the options quickly. So it's like, you know, you go through a song or idea, you know, a handful of times just try I'll just sometimes just try the most ridiculous idea that I can think of that I know it's going to sound so stupid like just to like know right away okay like yeah this is not this is what you're gonna do next time and like <laughs> and uh right. I don't know sometimes it yeah. works and sometimes it actually sparks other things like it's just trying to trying to have fun with it and and uh you know see what you can come up with and be creative sure absolutely when you started to um, tour, not only with your skating career, but with, with bands, did you, I guess, immediately like that vibe of traveling and getting out there? Uh, or was that something that as you were experiencing it, you're like, oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be? Or, you know, I, I know over time, your relationship with tour has probably evolved. But um, how did you, I guess, kind of take to it when you first started to do it? Oh, I loved it. I, I loved it. I I couldn't wait to get out of Vista. Um, I just, uh, you know, to me, it was just like, bring your skateboard and, you know, especially on band tour, it was like, bring your skateboard and just find spots to skate when you had time to, or go check out record shops or just, I just, I liked it. I liked meeting people from different spots and that were into the same things. And um, I found it enjoyable. You know, I didn't mind staying crashed on people's floors and, 
stuff like that. Um, you know, now it's it's a little bit different now, but um, I still enjoy it. You know, aspects of it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's not for everyone. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> no, it definitely. Especially too, I mean, as you like mentioned, as you get older, and I mean, clearly you have a family now, and you have obligations at home that make that idea, um, you know, more daunting than just be like, oh, whatever, dude. Like, I don't care, yeah. I'll just leave. Um, but yeah, just especially too, where it's like, I'm sure you experience this when you identify uh, to a average human being, like what tour is. Most people are like, oh, dude, so you're on the bus, tour bus, right? And you're just like, no, not at all. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> conversation comes up every now and then that people just have no idea of my, of the world that, you know, I, I inhibit. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. The, oh. the DIY touring lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we rent yeah. a van and, uh, we, you know, sometimes we get hotel rooms and a lot of times we stay at people's houses. Right. Yeah. Like, like, wait, you meet a stranger and you stay at their house. You're like, yeah, they're at the show. You can trust them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to guess that with, um, you know, the fact that there was, uh, you know, early, and I'm going to use this in air quotes, but you obviously can't see me like business implications to what you were doing from, you know, being a sponsored skater and then like, you know, whatever selling merch shows and stuff like that. And then once you started to like put up records and work with record labels, how's the business side, um, sort of impacted you or do you enjoy the business aspect of it? Is that like, you know, interesting to you or is that just a function of, the the way that things need to be in order for a band to exist for a long time i was pretty oblivious to it you know i mean it was just like go out and tour and lose money and just whatever we just had fun going out and playing um you know and then uh when i i'm trying to think when i joined rocket that was actually the first for me i would i consider like somewhat you know a, a professional working band uh-huh. and, um you know, we were diligent about having merchandise and everything that comes along with it. Um, you know, and then, uh, from there on just, you know, with earthless and stuff that hot snakes and whatever I was doing at the time, it's just, there's very simple things. You sell your merch and, and sell your records and you try to come out in the green and not in the red. <laughs> right. And then, um, once you start having kids and having obligations like that, you just really got to make sure everything is, is taken care of and that you're going to have an idea of, of uh, what you're going to make, you know? Right. There, there's a responsibility that, you know, becomes attached to it. Yeah. Big time. But, you know, I, it's still I, fun is always the main goal. And of course, and, and loving, loving what you're doing and, loving to play is always for me the the main inspiration like if i if i end up having to just go tour and just because i have to make some money and and, and it just doesn't seem fun to me anymore at all like if, if i'm miserable and it's like i would rather find maybe something that i can stay home and be close to my family with you know it's the same thing with being in a band if you're if you're miserable in a band or miserable with the people that you're in it with, why would I, why would I want to be trapped with someone that, or some people that I don't enjoy being around with across the, the globe? You know, it's like, that's just seems like torture. I don't see how people can do that unless they're making like billions of dollars or something. You know, I just, I'd just rather would be home close to my family and, and go work somewhere for a few hours and then come home to them every day. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, unless you're all, uh, you know, traveling in separate buses and like, you don't even need to see each other except for the, you know, yeah, half sitting on together, stage. Like, yeah, totally. Right. <laughs> totally. Which, it's, which that's a reality, you know, I guess. That is. Yeah. <laughs> we, we all know who we're talking about. <laughs> um, so, you know, as you were, uh, you know, touring and putting out records and, you know, doing all of these things, I, I, I know that, like you said, with Rock from the Crypt, that was the first, you know, quote unquote, real band <laughs> that was like, you know, an active professionally touring band. Like everything that you were doing kind of prior to that was, you know, of that DIY level. Um, and were you, were you like working in the skate industry kind of like tangentially to it where you were, um, 
you know, as you were touring with bands and coming home um, and like, you know, just finding random jobs or what were you doing to kind of like subsist yourself? At that point? Yeah, I was. Um, Cause I hadn't, yeah, the, yeah. Skating as a, as a profession, you know, maybe I had a model still at some point, but at that point, skateboarding was still like, it hadn't blown up to a point where it had. Um, so, I mean, whatever money I was making from skating was like, very little, like nothing to make a living off of, you know, but it was just like, you know, a little extra change here and there. Um, so, you know, uh, trying to think I had a few odd jobs in the beginning and then, um, yeah, then yeah, I started working like at different skate companies and stuff just around touring and kind of doing that just because I enjoyed being around that industry and, and, uh, staying in touch with being able to still skate and being around that world. It just, to me, I, I like it. So, yeah. What? Um, because I know you have uh, done, you know, random like studio work and stuff like that. Uh, do you remember, you know, kind of your your first few? Uh, like, hey, we need to hire Mario to play drums on this full length record. We got like a day in the studio or whatever. <laughs> um, do, you, do you remember the first times it started to like crop up for you with that? And was that a um, either a weird experience or did you kind of feel like, Oh, you, Oh, I fit right in. Like I, I know how to do this because I can hear these songs and I know how to play them. Um, I haven't really done too much studio work, um, like session work. I'm trying to think of the ones that I've done, um, where it was more like a hired gun. It's a hard, hard shot remembering. Um, I mean, I've helped out friends a lot in different things. Um, usually it's just, it's been very easy and, um, just kind of just go along with whatever the the artist has in mind. And, um, you know, uh, it's never ever been something that was too crazy difficult as far as like from a rhythm perspective. So uh, I enjoy doing that though. I would like to do more of that, especially now, like um, I have all this time at home and, um, you know, touring isn't, isn't something that's going on as much. Um, it'd be fun to get more involved with like people doing session stuff or something, but it's kind of a hard world to tap into, it seems like. Yeah, it, yeah, I know it's it it is interesting because then sometimes when you do a studio session, you kind of graduate to being in the band, and then some people are like, "Well, I didn't really want to be in the band, but <laughs> but okay, I guess I'll try it or whatever." <laughs> um, did you? Uh, I know at one point you like moved out of San Diego or lived outside of it. Is that correct, or am I wrong? Yeah. Yeah, I moved to uh, Chicago for a couple of years. Um, that was in the later mid '90s, and um, I'm trying to think, I tried to start a project, or I was just trying to look to get into a band out there or something, you know, just do something different. Um, and uh, it was a little bit hard, and I thought um, there was just so much going on in that city. Um, but then I had met Bill, uh, Bill and Jessica. And Bill had worked at Electrical Audio. He helped build that studio. And um, we had started jamming and becoming friends. And, and then that ended up becoming a record that we did called uh, Sea of Tombs. Um, I, I was going to say, because that, that yeah. Sea of Tombs records, uh, I mean, that came out, what, at 2000, early 2000s? Um, yeah. And I, I remember working at uh, a, a record store here in Orange County. And that was like <laughs> such an interesting record because like you can listen to it constantly and it's not, um, it, it's not going to bum anybody out, you know, <laughs> it's not going to be like, Oh my gosh, this is so annoying. It's like, what, what, what is this? And I know we sold a lot of those <laughs> records and it was a uh, on constant rotation. And so that's, that's cool. cool. I, I didn't know it originated in, uh, in Chicago. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. We spent, I mean, it was just uh, the culmination of, uh, of us playing music, you know, once a week or whatever we would get together and, we just come up with those, we came up with those jams eventually. And, and then, um, but it, you know, by the, by the time I knew I was moving back to San Diego, we were like, Oh man, we need to, uh, we should try to record whatever we have. And, um, so, uh, we had, Bill had a bunch of free time. He could, he could set up at electrical and, um, it was really fun being able to just kind of set up different, different things there how we wanted to do it and um and uh, record those jams um yeah so by the time i moved back to san diego um we had the recordings and and uh 
put that record up just sort of as a, as a remembrance. Right, right, right. Um, it, it also seems that because of your wide musical uh, taste and, you know, even though you can easily tie it back to, you know, all the punk hardcore stuff, it, it didn't seem like you, you know, clearly attached yourself to a scene. Like, you know, you, it's like, Oh yeah, Mario, the, you know, straight edge youth crew kid or whatever. Um, right. <laughs> so like, is that just because, was that kind of a function of who you were as a person because you kind of like to, uh, flow through all of these different scenes and musical stylings. That is what made it difficult for people to quote unquote, peg you down. I just never really thought about subscribing to just one specific type of, you know, um, scene or something. You know, I had, I had friends that were like deep into like straight edge and, and, you know, like all the orange, orange County people that I hung out with when I was in four one one. Um, you know, at that time I was, I was pretty deep into like hardcore stuff and, and metal. Um, but then like, I just, uh, I think just coming from skateboarding, I just always felt that just, uh, that was, that was who I was primarily. And, um, I don't know. I just never wanted to be limited to one thing, I guess. Right, right. Because uh, I, I mean, it, especially too, like as a kid, when you are able to latch on to an identity, and then that's kind of what you get boxed in as. Yeah. I mean, usually willingly, because you're yeah. just like, oh, yes, like I am a vegan, straight edge hardcore kid or whatever. But you're like, yeah, I also like, you know, Depeche Mode or whatever. People are like, what? Right. What do you mean? You can't do that. It's like, well, I, yeah, I can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's... No, lip. did you? Did you have uh, do you have brothers or sisters or are you an only child? Basically a little bit of both. I have I have uh half brothers and half sisters, but um I am I am my mom's only child. <laughs> got it, got it. Yeah. But uh yeah. Um but my my sister, my half sister, she's seven years younger than I am and we didn't grow up together, but uh we're pretty close now. Um and you know live in the same city and stuff. Uh, yeah. But, um, I have a, a very large family of, of cousins and stuff like that. So. Sure. Yeah. Large, large extended family. Yeah. Um, diving into rocking from the crypt. And like you were mentioning, that was your first more quote unquote full-time band. Um, and as you started to kind of step onto that, um, machinery as it were because you you joined like kind of right before the i guess vagrant era of the band right around yeah well actually yeah the beginning of the vagrant era okay and um that was it i guess was it um sort of an easy transition for you to kind of i mean not i know that you could easily play the music and be able to kind of do that but uh, was it a markedly different experience for you to be like, oh, so this is what like a, you know, <laughs> a grown up band does or whatever? Um, I mean, easy. Yeah, it was easy. Um, it was just also new. I mean, just um, having a being in a band where there was support from a label was was new from an actual label that was doing this as a business, you know, Um not that gravity wasn't doing things as from any kind of business perspective, but it's quite different doing it from, you know, just a, a room or a very, very small office compared to whatever building vagrant was in at the time, you know, and having really decent funding, you know, financially. Um, but, uh, I mean, it was just, yeah, it was just new. Um, and, uh, nothing too, exotic about it i guess that i remember <laughs> right right yeah <laughs> but it was nice to have someone put out your records and have all that aspect taken care of for you and you just focus on the music and getting out there and supporting it right and touring um <clears throat> the i mean and clearly you know rocket comes from the same scene as far as you know punk and hardcore and stuff like that so it's not like you were you know stepping into a uh, you know arena rock band or anything like that even yeah. though john reese clearly is an arena rock guy yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> um with uh with earthless i find uh interesting because you know you, you, that band has existed for you know around 20 years um 
And it's been kind of that slow burn where you've always, you know, existed with it. But now it seems like, you know, larger opportunities are coming your way, you know, signing to nuclear blast and doing, um, you know, more activity around like, you know, playing festivals and all that sort of stuff, even though Earthless has obviously always done some version of that. Um, is it interesting for you to have a project like that that's been, you know, kicking around for so long? And then now it's like, oh, well, wow, like, you know, there's this kind of like wind in our sails that, you know, might not have been the case, whatever, five to seven years ago. Yeah, I mean, um, when we first started out, it was just something we did around, you know, it was something I did around the bands that I was in. I mean, I was full time with Rocket at the time. And, and so we were touring a lot. So uh, Earthless would just get together and play a show every now and then around that. Um, and then, uh, you know, we didn't really think about ever doing it on a scale of trying to just go out and tour and, and do that kind of stuff um, until quite a few years later. And then um, even putting out a record, we didn't put a record out until a few years after we started. So um, once we got signed to Teepee and we did our second album, then we started doing more touring and, and little things here. And, and uh, but it was still always around other bands I was in and um, you know, and then, um, slowly but surely, I just kind of felt that it was something that we should pay more attention to. And as also as people started to be more aware of, of it and, uh, wanting to see it live and that kind of stuff, um, more opportunities just started kind of coming around. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, I think in a lot of ways there was that first wave of the, of the stoner rock kind of type stuff that we were around um, and that scene hadn't really kind of busted open yet as far as like people being into that kind of stuff as much as they are now. Sure. I kind of feel it was good for us to not blow, you know, blow out, blow the flame out before it kind of got more discovered because uh, we didn't burn out like some of those bands. Um, um, you know, we just kind of do things how we want to do them and, and, um, you know, touring has, has been something we've been taking more seriously in the last five years, I guess. Right. Yeah. Um, no, that's cool. That, I mean, and I think too, with all of the, the stuff that you have put out there, I think it's always, I mean, the constant theme that I see is the fact that you put it out there and how the world reacts to it is, you know, not inconsequential, but it's just like, well, this is going to exist no matter what, because I got to play music and I got to put out records. And if someone takes it seriously and wants to put it out, like, cool. If not, like, you know, I'll, I'll figure out another way to like do it or, you know, put it out there. So it seems like that's been the, the, um, <laughs> the through line for all of your stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's going to happen regardless. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're like, whether four people pay attention to it or whether um, 400 people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, two last things I want to hit on was the, um, you know, the hot snakes experience, uh, because that was that was interesting where I know that there was a, uh, a people, a lot of people paid attention to it, you know, from the get go, because obviously of all the people that were involved with it. Right. Um, what Was it one of those things where... Um, you guys felt, um, I guess, a different momentum than any of the other previous bands from, you know, Jada Jehu or Rocket or anything like that. Did that, I guess, experience feel different, mostly from like a business perspective where it's like, oh, wow, we have to like talk to record labels besides, you know, Sympathy or whatever. Or, or, or was that just not even part of the uh, conversation because you guys were always going to do what you wanted to do? Um, Hot Snakes for, for me, it's... Um... I mean, I wasn't in the beginning of that, of that band. Right. Um, uh, when I joined the band, they had just kind of started to want to actually try and do it. Um, before that, they had only done a couple tours and they had the two records. Um, and then when I came into the mix, we just wanted to do a record and, and do some more touring. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the business stuff or any of that kind of stuff was never a conversation. Um, it was just about trying to get this record 
going and trying to make something cool and different sounding and just see what happens and and start doing some more active playing um yeah but then once we when we signed to sub pop when the band got back together again then i mean that was i mean i guess the only thing i could really think of that was like okay what well, you know had to think a little bit more deeply about what we're doing but sure sure like a, a different uh, perspective on like oh wow yeah. like you know sub, sub pop means something different than sympathy yeah but i mean i don't know i just I, i've never really um i guess my time in that band was just feel, just felt kind of limited but when we got back together i mean it's it's jason's band in my opinion um and we we tried doing the the sharing the two drummers thing for a little bit and that was fun you know him playing his own stuff and me playing the songs that i did with the band and but that could only really last so long from perspective of logistics um you know so i mean to me it's like it's that's jason's band it's it's not really my band even though i've been lucky to be able to put my stamp on it on the music that i created with those guys and i love those songs and i love that band regardless of of me being in it or not in it. Um, but I just, I hope I could play with those guys again someday, but I don't really, I'm not, you know, it's not something I would be like holding my breath for, I guess. I, I don't know. If, but if they ask, I'm always around. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah. You're like, I- I'm here, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I know collecting records uh, <laughs> is something that you're passionate about. I know you've, you know, gone through probably different iterations of collecting certain styles of music and, you know, selling certain things and you know, yeah. <laughs> keeping yeah. other things. Um, it, did it, did, was vinyl kind of important for you from the get go or was that something that, you know, as you were touring and, you know, putting out records that you started to kind of amass that collection? It's, it's always been around. Um, I mean, I've always bought records in some shape or form. Um, I didn't really start getting really deep into it until I probably started touring. And then I just started getting turned on to so much stuff um, from you know, visiting friends and meeting people on the road and them giving you stuff or, you know, and then from there you, it just kind of, snowballed um and then of course over the years the the taste you know my taste will change or i'll get into something different but uh but it always always can seems to evolve into something else um right i just i I just like the act of playing records and i like the artistic you know approach of it and everything about it um moving them is not fun but uh no no not at all but um yeah, it's, it's just always kind of been around. So it's always been something I've been into. And I mean, I'm mainly into collecting music. I like I like the music and the art of it. I'm not as much of a collector um, in that sense. I mean, yeah, I, I I enjoy original pressings. I you know, and there's some things I do go for that in that format. But I don't mind reissues too if they're done well um i'm not that type of person or collector that shuns on reissues which is something that's kind of like nowadays i you know there's some there's younger kids that i that are just like oh no i i don't i don't fuck with reissues i'm just like really like i just don't get it you know i mean it's it's just a way to hear the music and whatever and it's like i to me it's about the music having owning the original pressing for me is more if anything having the best source to hear the music from in the best the best way um it's not about the like the rarity aspect as much right yeah yeah it's like oh man i gotta get this on the you know colored vinyl or obviously you know the yeah, hundred eighty gram audio file. It's like I, I just want the record because that's what's important to me. I like I, mean, I want the record. I want the best sounding version of the record. Yep. I like because I'm just very into. I just want I want it to sound good. I mean, but there's been so many times where there was options to only get like a a crappy bootleg of something to hear it, you know, and and I'd get that until I can get a better version of it, you know. Yeah, totally. Yeah, whatever's in front of you, it's like yeah. well, that. That's the only option, so I'm going to do that. Yeah, I still. 
I still have CDs, you know, whatever. It's like, I don't know. I just, I'm not too crazy particular, but, but vinyl is just what I have most of. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and I know, I know that you're a dad, a father, um, and how, you know, I, I think your kid is relatively young from what I can gather. Um, yeah. But is it, is it one of those things where, um, you are looking forward to kind of like going on that musical journey with your kid or like, how does that, you know, because you are bringing so much to the table, not only from a music perspective, but like the, you know, DIY side of things as well. Um, how does that ping pong around your brain as you, you know, are a dad now? Um, to be honest, I don't think about it that much. Um, there's always music going on or in, in the house and they're very receptive to it. And I know it hits them and, they enjoy it and I, I, I enjoy seeing them enjoy it. Um, but I am not at all like trying to, you know, force them on any instruments or anything. Um, they're around the house. I have guitars around the house every now and then, you know, the drums will be set up or something. Um, but you know, my drums are, are at the practice space or, or in the, in the, in the band storage room or whatever. But, uh, we did just get um, the kids a. Uh, I I was lucky to get from Ludwig uh, one of the Questlove little pocket kits. Um, oh sure. That's you know meant for for kids from four to like ten. So um, I did just get that for them. Um, you know I'll be playing that as well probably, but uh, I'm gonna set that up in the in the corner of the the living room at some point, and when they want to play it, they can play it and. Uh, I could smash on that if they feel like it. <laughs> so it's it's here for them. If they want to dig into that, then they can dig into that when they want. That's how I yeah. that's how I see it. And um, but they love listening to music. We have uh, we have a little uh, Sonos set up where we just kind of pick out. Um, they love soundtracks to uh, like Toy Story and Cars and yeah, stuff Disney like that. Movies, right? Yeah, yeah. We just we just play those little things, but then um, but then you know my old, my son he's four, he likes there's music that he hears that we play, and we made him a playlist of songs that he particularly likes, and he knows like like words to like you know there's a kink song that he just loves and like there's he has his own little playlist of things that he really he knows the the words to um so we we uh fully uh recognize that and and appreciate that you know they're receptive to it yeah no that's that's it's funny because the um i mean i have a 10 year old and he is super into like the marvel movies and guardians of the galaxy has like you know a classic rock soundtrack and you know elo is prominently featured and it's just so funny to hear a 10 year old like singing elo and it's like what what and then yeah but yeah you're, you're right it's like having the kids be super into randy newman you're like okay cool i guess i guess we're doing this yeah last year it was hilarious when like people were all doing the spotify wrapped things like what you listen to the most out of the year and like everyone's you know like someone had like all this whatever deep rock stuff and whatever they're into and then mine i looked at it and it was just like toy story soundtrack was like number one <laughs> and then like car soundtrack was number two just like totally totally yeah <laughs> right it's your your music taste is reflected back at you in through your child's eyes <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome well well mario thanks for hanging out dude i really uh appreciate it and thanks for letting me uh ping pong around your musical life thanks for having me man big shout out to mario for coming on the show i really appreciate him taking the time out of his day and i know this is part of his job but you know he doesn't need to talk to me there's hundreds and thousands of other podcasts he could go on but uh he chose this one so Thank you very much for that. And thank you very much to his publicist, Nick's, which, uh, you know, I like to give shout outs to people or Nick, I should say, who are doing the work because they, uh, you know, publicists, they don't get any shine. So I want to make sure that they uh, get the thanks as well. But next week, 
I have another great conversation because, of course, that's what we do here. I have Grady Allen from Anxious and uh, One Step Closer, even though he's recently stepped out in One Step Closer because uh, it's really impossible to be in two full-time touring bands. But Grady is the vocalist of Anxious who just released a new LP that I am absolutely in love with and, uh, yeah, had a great conversation with him. So that's what we got next week. Grady Allen from Anxious. Anxious. (laughs) I totally, totally just... uh, switch that X to an a C and just sounded very odd. But anyways, until then, please be safe, everybody.